Thank you for tuning in to Hill Country Fellowship's audio podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired as you listen today. For more information, visit us online at hcfburnett.org. This morning, we're kicking off our Easter series, uh, Extraordinary, uh, today. And uh, uh, funny story, I, I grew up in Seguin. So, growing up in Seguin, uh, you just say, extraordinary. So, I always just thought as a kid, it was like S-T-R, extraordinary. Uh, moved all the way to San Marcos, 25 miles down the road, to find out it's actually the word extraordinary. And it quickly became one of my favorite words uh, in the English language, leaving the Seguin language behind. Um, because I just love the thought of that. It's not just uh, extraordinary. It's extraordinary, and that's the God that we serve, uh, and and the God that takes the ordinary, the uh, uh, just the kind of the maybe uh, somebody that doesn't stand out, uh, just a, a normal shepherd boy or a, a teenage girl or a fisherman or something, any. He, he does extraordinary things through them. So we're looking at different characters in the Bible uh, through this series. Uh, and even Jesus on Easter Sunday, we're going to see how he, just a guy, he just became ordinary for our sake so that he could do the extraordinary of death defeated, forgiveness of sins, uh, new heaven and new earth. I mean, those are extraordinary things. Uh, and, and that's what we see in Jesus uh, who gave up his divine rights to to do all those uh, amazing things for us now and forevermore. Uh, and so I just love how God uses the unlikely to do uh, extraordinary things. And my desire during this series is, is that we would be challenged, we would be uh, encouraged, we'd be convinced that, that we're redeemed to do amazing things in Jesus and amazing things because of Jesus, that, that he only has the amazing in, in store for us because we have the spirit of the living God in us as, as saved sons and daughters. Uh, we once had no name, now we have the last name of God. We once received no mercy because we said nope, and, and now we receive mercy as the, the Bible tells us. So we're starting off by looking at Esther today and looking at, at God's purposes and how uh, that amazing story uh, unfolds all that God had for us. We see him coming through in seemingly insurmountable circumstances. So our big idea today is ordinary people, extraordinary purpose. Um, and so if you want to turn to Esther 4, uh, you certainly can. We'll get there in just a moment. But I want to set the stage a little bit for you if you've never read the story or haven't read it for a while, or maybe you, you, you blew through it real quick. It's, it's ten, 10 chapters there uh, in the Old Testament. Um, if you go Ezra and Nehemiah and uh, right around Job and Psalms and Proverbs and all those, you'll find it right in there, or just go to your concordance and, or table of contents and find out where it is in your, in your Bible. Um, but I, I love the story because it's basically like, uh, I'm a big BBC guy, so they always have like six episodes in a season for BBC. It's basically... This book that has about six amazing episodes in it, because it's not just one story. There's a lot going on in there. Uh, but the main characters are, you have your hero in Esther. You have the brains, uh, uh, your, your Mordecai, who uh, her cousin that's older that adopted her when, when she, her parents died uh, and raised her. You have this pushover, needy, pansy king in Xerxes. Uh, and then you have, dun, 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 the villain in Haman. Uh, anybody named Haman, son of 
what is this, son of Haman Agath, the Agagite, is destined to be a bad guy. Um, and then you have these crazy elements in the story. You have decadence, you have Partyville going on. At one point, the king has 182 days straight of partying going on. Uh, you have hatred, you have hidden identities, you have a beauty pageant. I mean, come on. Uh, I mean, I'm not a beauty pageant guy, but sometimes I'm like, you can't argue with beauty pageants. They are in the Bible, and there's a big part of it. Uh, you have an assassination plot. You have genocide. You have gallows being built for hanging tons of people. You have wild, ironic coincidences. You have rolling the dice to make decisions. You have role reversals. You have a king's subversive opposition to his own people through a decree he made, then he goes against them underhandedly, kind of. And then you have the providence of the creator God. Uh, so backstory here before we get to chapter 4. Um, the, the Jews are in exile, and so they're just a, a defeated people, but they're allowed to have that freedom within of being, being uh, you know, kind of a, a controlled people. Uh, you have Haman, who hates the Jews. He's like the advisor to the king. You have the wussy king, uh, who's just got lots of issues. Uh, he's mad at his wife because she won't come to him one time when he wants to show off her beauty. So he's like, you're dumb. Done with you. Get out. Uh, and then somebody's like, we should have a beauty pageant so you can pick the prettiest girl. And we read that Esther's beautiful. Uh, she's something to look at, but she's a Jew. So Mordecai, who's kind of like her uncle that raised her, uh, he's like, hey, you can't be a Jew. Your name's Hadassah. We've got to change you to Esther. Uh, hide your Jewish identity. You're the prettiest girl. He'll pick you because he's pretty lame. Of uh, a person, lo and behold, he picks her because he's like, oh, and so she becomes the queen, and then Mordecai, he overhears this assassination attempt. He tells the king, he gets uh, elevated, but Haman hates him because he hates all Jews, especially Mordecai. And, and so Haman comes up with this plot to, to kill all the Jews, wipe them out, total genocide. And that's where we pick up our story uh, in Esther 4, where we're, we're looking at that our lives... No matter what we're faced with, are meant to thrive in Jesus and not, not live hidden. So it says this in, in chapter 4, verse 1, when Mordecai learned about all that had been done. So here's all that had been done that he just learned about. Haman goes to the king. He's like, I got a great plan. And the king's like, I love it. I'm weak. Um, so Haman says, you got a, he's telling all the people of the nation, you got 11 months to prepare for, for genocide to wipe out the Jews. And he says, all Jews, young and old, including women and children, must be killed, slaughtered, and annihilated on a single day 11 months from now. So you prepare during this 11 months for your genocide, however you're going to kill them. You kill them. It's got to all happen in one day. And by the way, you get to keep any, anybody you kill, whatever they own, you get to keep that. So a little bonus for y'all for being murderers. Uh, have fun out there. So that's what was decreed. So Mordecai finds out about this, and that's what had been done. Verse 1 goes on to say, he tore his clothes. He put on burlap and ashes. He went out into the city crying with a loud and bitter wail. Remember, Esther is really Hadassah, so she's a Jew, and she's the queen. So her head's on the chopping block too. They just don't all quite know that yet. Mordecai went as far as the gate of the palace, for no one was allowed to enter the palace gate while wearing clothes of mourning. And as news of the king's decree reached all the provinces, 
There was great mourning among the Jews. They fasted, wept, and wailed, and many people lay in burlap and ashes. When Queen Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, she was deeply distressed. She sent clothing to him to replace the burlap, but he refused it. Then Esther sent for Hatak, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed as her attendant. She ordered him to go to Mordecai and find out what was troubling him and why he was in mourning. I'm like, duh, but okay. Uh, she was pretty. We didn't know. We don't know if she had brains. Okay, just we don't know. She probably did. So Hatak went out to Mordecai in the square in front of the palace gate. Mordecai told him the whole story, including the exact amount of money that Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. So he said, King, I'll pay you to let us kill them all. I'll give you lots of money. And the king's like, yes, I love it. I'm weak. Where am I here? So after Mordecai told him the whole story, he gave Hatak a copy of the decree issued in Susa that called for the death of all Jews. He asked Hatak to show it to Esther and explain the situation to her. He also asked him to direct her to go to the king to beg for mercy and plead for her people. So Hatak returned to Esther with Mordecai's message. So he's saying, Esther, you got to go and do something for us. You're the only one with access to the king. Then Esther told Hatak to go back and relay this message to Mordecai, the man who raised her when she was an orphan. All the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter and the king has not called for me to come for 30 days. So Hatak gave Esther's message to Mordecai and Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace you will escape when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. I trust God is what he's saying. But you and your relatives will die. And remember, he's talking to, that's like his daughter. So there's a lot of emotion going on. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die... I must die. So Mordecai went away, did everything as Esther had ordered him. You see, they were called to thrive in exile, not just survive or hunker down or, or wait it out. So what makes Esther so special? I mean, she, we, we do see that she's pretty, but really what makes her so special in this story? Nothing. Nothing really makes her special in this story. She's ordinary, just like Abraham and Gideon, and David, and Mary, and Peter. She's just an ordinary person living life in the circumstances where she was raised and where she finds herself, just like any one of us on the planet. Just ordinary people. And I love that, that we don't see God take somebody who the world would value and say, oh, I'm going to find you know, that superstar and put them here because I want the world to see that I use superstars. Now, is God against superstars? No, unless he needs to, you know, knock down some pride or something and, and set them free. But he's not about going, I'm just picking superstars because we do read about Jesus. He came as a human and then he just kind of looked like, 
like a normal one of mo like most of us just look normal. He just looked normal. Some of you are really beautiful and good looking. Hey, good on you. Jesus didn't look like you. He looked more like us on this side. He's just normal and God loves to use the normal ordinary. He takes an ordinary rancher in Abraham or a scared guy trying to make bread for his family, hiding in a wine press like Gideon or a shepherd boy like David or just a teenage girl like Mary, a fisherman like Peter, an orphaned Jewish girl like Esther, and he does extraordinary things through their lives. When they submit, Judas was just as ordinary as, as Peter, but Judas didn't submit. Peter did. Peter made just as many mistakes. We read more of his mistakes. He just submitted his life over time to Jesus. And so God uses the ordinary. And then these people, they face one or two or 50 major tests along the way to see God's plan, his purpose come to fruition. I love verses 12 through 16. It's kind of the, the big moment of the whole story. That we, that we read there. Mordecai is confident that God will come through to save his people in some way to fulfill his promise of keeping that line of people going until the Messiah would come. And Mordecai knew this. He knew God would work it out, that his purpose, his promise would come to pass, that their deliverance would come so Esther could be a part of God's deliverance or she could choose to say, no, I'm going to fend for myself. I don't want a part of what God is doing and I'm just going to turn away. Those are her choices. Choose God and it's a risk. Choose your own way. You think it's not a risk, but it's riskier. And what I love is after hearing Esther in essence say, if I do as you say, I, I could die Mordecai's response is kind of hard. But we need Mordecai's in our life. He says, he says this, basically, you'll die anyway. If you're silent, you might miss the main purpose and privilege for why the Creator God put you in this place in the first place. And a lot of times we, a lot of us hear the, the phrases, the two big phrases from Esther for such a time as this. Great phrase, and if I die, I die. If I perish, I perish. Those are two great phrases. A lot of times we take the, for such a time as this, and we're like, ah, oh, we think Esther said it, or we falsely believe Esther said it, or we just don't pay attention, and we think it's, oh, for such a time as this, I get to have the best life ever. For such a time as this is, you could get your head chopped off. Right? It's a, it's a tough moment. For such a time as this, Esther, you might be putting your life on the line, and it might not end well for you. We don't know. But for such a time as this is a challenge for us. I was talking to a guy this morning who spent some time at Walmart the other day and got accosted for loving, trying to tell people about Jesus and somebody just angry with him. For such a time as this, people need to hear about Jesus because they're going to hell without him. And so I need to be willing to be, have people be mad at me just by lovingly telling, telling them about Jesus. Invite your neighbor to church during Easter, they might not like it, or somebody might be like, I was waiting for somebody to invite me somewhere. I'm so scared to go. But just put your reputation online. It's okay. Mordecai challenged her reluctance. Who knows? Perhaps for such a time as this, this is the only reason you're the queen. And to her humble credit, 
Esther listened to godly wisdom very quickly, made a very quick decision, and then she trumped him on the spiritual side. And she said, we're all fasting for three days. Join us. I mean, she took the challenge and went with it. Praise God for Esther. She listened. Some of us need to be better listeners when people challenge us in life. But we all need Mordecai's in our lives. If you don't have a real Mordecai in your life, you need to get one. If you have people that go, you know, it is totally okay that you live that way. And they just all, you know, champion you living against the gospel or for yourself or the ways of the world. You don't have good friends. You need some Mordecai's in your life to poke and prod and challenge you to live righteously. Your closest friend should take it to you when you're not loving your spouse the way you should, when you're not preferring your husband or your wife. They should get on you about it. Should they despise you? No, but if they're a Mordecai, they're not going to despise you. They're going to push you towards righteousness. Your friend should get in your business if your work ethic has gone south and you're just mailing it in. They should be like, we don't do that as followers of Jesus. If that person cares about you, they're not going to look at you and say, it's okay that you go there. It's okay that you do that. It's okay that you get involved there. I mean, what's the harm? Those are not good friends. You need a couple in your life that will say, hey, why aren't you in Christian community? Why don't you go to real life group? Why don't you get involved in something to encourage you in your marriage? Why don't you do something besides one hour and 22 minutes on a Sunday? Get involved with real life that, pur that purposes us towards Jesus in community. And if you're like, Scott, I don't know where to start. Start on a Wednesday night. Mark and I have a blast with everybody that comes. If you have kids, they can have a blast with Pastor Jordan. It, it's, it's a time where we come together and we're just looking at Hebrews and how to live it out and what it means for us today. You've got to have a Mordecai in your life. At the same time, we've got to be Mordecai's for other people. In this story of Esther, we see how God uses the unlikely to do the extraordinary. Just a regular girl who's good looking, who God puts here, and then some bad things happen. And a good father figure says, hey, you got to do this. We don't know how it's going to play out, but we do know that God has a plan for our people. So let's do our part to help God's plan for our people come to fruition. And Esther doubted and, and she struggled with the possible consequences. But ultimately here, her, her faith became greater than her doubt. I love that about Esther. I'm doubting. I don't quite know. It's not like when I said, yes, I'll go in, that God said, I'll make sure his gold scepter goes towards you so you don't die. She didn't know. But her faith became greater than her doubt, and she was not dictated by fear or doubt or worry anymore. I'll go in and see the king, and if I die, I die. Ultimately, she was willing to sacrifice her life, to lay her life on the line. She foreshadowed the willingness of our Savior and King Jesus. In Luke uh, chapter 22, Jesus is in the garden He's realizing the sins of all mankind, past, present, and future, will be laid upon me. 
I'll have to take all that in. I'll become the sin of all mankind for all time. And, and the wrath of God will burn against me. And so he said, if there's any other way that this, can, that this can come to pass, let it be, but not my will. Yours be done. If I must die, I must die. He said that for us. And then, and then he goes to the cross, Romans 5.8 tells us, and he dies for us while we're sinners, while we despise him and hate him and don't care about him. We're shaking our fist at him. We're saying, I don't believe in you. I don't need you. I got this. I don't believe in, in religion. Whatever it is that we struggle with pre-Jesus, he went to the cross and died for us there. Esther's life foreshadows Jesus' life. He just was the true and better Esther in the story of mankind. No situation, no matter how broken it might be or look or feel or seem, nothing is beyond God's reach. Nothing is beyond his influence to come through. Esther's the story of God turning the hopeless into the hopeful. And then eventually the victorious, because here's the crazy thing, you read chapter 4 and, and then you read chapter 5 when, when it turns out and the king you know, doesn't kill her. The story doesn't end there. It's not like, okay, we're just going to stop this decree. He'd made a decree, so it had to, be, had to be fulfilled. He couldn't go against it. So we have to go through the 11 months, and there's ups and downs. I mean, Mordecai gets, like, elevated, but then Haman's like, uh-uh, I'm going to make a special thing. I'm going to put you on a, on a stick in front of all the people. It's a, it's a crazy story. I encourage you to read the entire book of Esther won't take you that long and you'll be like, they should make a movie about this, which they have, but none of them are really that great. Uh, we need uh, Peter Jackson to do it. Um, I put a call in. Um, but just because you step out and you say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to reach out to that person, I'm going to start living this way for the gospel, I'm going to, I'm going to start uh, moving forward in my relationship with Jesus and trusting him, doesn't mean it's going to pan out in 30 minutes like a sitcom for you and be all perfect and have, have it all tied up neatly. You're going to have to have life play out and, and life's messy because humanity's broken and the world is broken and there's messy people and we're still imperfect and all of that, but, but we can trust that, that God always comes through for his purposes to be, to be played out, it's just not always in our timeline. Right. Anybody like to, like to suggest to God the timeline that needs to happen? Five of us honest people, the rest of you come to the altar later, right? I always tell people, Christianity's not a drive through or a microwave, but then I want it for me, <laughs> right? Man, it played out great for Esther, and then it had to play out not knowing the exact outcome. And there was like a war that went on and it's crazy stuff. But God's in the story of every believer. Even if we don't see or understand or, or like the timeline of it, he's behind the story. He's, he's, he's above the story. He's beneath the story because it's all his story. He gets the glory in it all. He's the one highlighted, and he's the one who redeems everything. And the best part of the story of Esther is that it points to Jesus' life and death and, and burial and resurrection. It points to what he did for us that we celebrate all during the Easter season. 
There's been three passages that I just can't get out of my mind this week as I've read the story of Esther and especially uh, stuck with uh, chapter four here uh, that point to, point to Jesus and, and, and God's purposes through him and all that he chose. The first one is in, in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, a very famous passage about a choice Jesus made of how he became one of us and gave up being divine to save all of us. Is there any encouragement? Oh, sorry, uh, uh, Philippians 2, verse 5. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Tall order right away. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. And he was born as a human being. He became ordinary. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor gave Jesus the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Ordinary became extraordinary by giving his life for you and I. Defeating death forgiving all sins. God loves to elevate and use the humble for his purpose. Esther shows us this snapshot of Jesus that we see here, how he lowers himself and, and how God uses that heart to do the difficult to redeem and deliver. Just like we see in the story of Esther that it was difficult, but he delivered in the end. And how Jesus did it is he, he pleaded our case. 1 John 2, verses 1 and 2, we see how Jesus pleaded our case before a holy and just God. John writes, my dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. So none of y'all are supposed to sin. Stop there for a moment and think. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. I, I read one version this week, says, we have a forgiving redeemer who stands before God and says, remember what I did. He himself, Jesus, is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the entire world by giving his life for me. The message says that Jesus solved the sin problem for good for me and for the entire world. He always comes through for us. He came through for you. He came through for you. He solved your sin problem. When you blow it during the week, later today, next month, whatever it is, Jesus is standing there going, it's good, Dad. I took care of it on the cross. And God's like, I know. So my, my kids can keep being perfected. I know they're not perfect, but I don't expect that of them. If they sin because they're human and they're struggling forward in me and they're dealing with brokenness around them, I forgive them. Because Jesus, you did the work and it was complete. You atoned for all of mankind's sins. Even those who don't believe in Jesus 
have their sins forgiven. Now at the end of their life, they're going to need to make a decision to to ask Jesus to be their, their Savior, to be their Lord, but their sins are forgiven. Hell will be filled with forgiven people who never submitted humbly before God. Which means we have to be motivated to go out, let our faith be stronger than our doubt, and tell people about Jesus, or, or invite them here, or invite them to a real life group. Jesus solved our sin problem, and he's still doing more. One of my very favorite passages ever is in Revelation 21, verses 1 through 7, where, where we see how he makes all things new for me. And how he's just so personal. Listen to this. John is writing. This is Jesus' best friend on planet Earth. And he gets this vision. He's seeing the future to come. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. Won't that be something? And the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. Listen to how personal our God is. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. He doesn't say tears be gone. He says, I will wipe each tear away from your eyes. That's how much I love you and how much I'm in it with you and how much you personally matter. He died for all mankind, but he died for you. And there will be no more death. This year, the last few years, some of y'all dealt with death in your life. There'll be no more sorrow. No more sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne, Jesus, said, look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for I tell, what I tell you is trustworthy and true. He also said, it's finished. I'm the alpha. I'm the omega, the beginning and end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of water, of life. And all who are victorious, will inherit all these blessings. I'll be their God and they will be my children. So what do I do now? What do we do now? Each of us are responsible for how we apply scripture and truth and, and the words of the, of the living God to us, how we walk that out in our lives. Do you need some courage in your life? for something that God is asking you to do or that you know is right. I encourage you during our songs of worship or during the prayer at the end of the service, come forward. As an act of submission and as a, as a way to maybe break the, the dam that's holding you back, I need courage, God, so I'm going to step out and put my, my action on the line. Who do you need to plead for? We read that Esther pled for her people before the king. Jesus pleads for us before the Father. Who do you need to plead for? Who should you plead for? Who can you beg and plead God to save or move in their life? Because if not you, maybe no one is pleading for that person. 
Maybe they've gone so far over in breaking relationship that no one else on the planet cares about them and you have it in your heart. Are you begging and pleading God to move in their life and are you doing something to go to them and say, I'm going to be the grace of Jesus for you? Who do you need to be a Mordecai to? Maybe to challenge somebody to stand up, to live right, to challenge somebody to stop wasting their lives or, or, or to challenge them to live as a believer and no longer in fear or as a fraud, to be a loving person to go, you say you follow Jesus, but this is what you're doing. You can't do this. Who do you need to be the Mordecai to? And do you need a Mordecai in your life? You don't have to be perfect or act perfect or work up to perfection. God loves using the imperfect ordinary to do the perfect extraordinary. You're just ordinary, but you're saved to do extraordinary. Every day of our lives should broadcast for such a time as this. I'm going to ask you to stand right now. And I'm going to encourage you to apply this to your life whether it's courage or pleading for someone or, or ask, asking the Lord, give me a Mordecai or help me be a Mordecai. Man, to, to be used by God in any capacity requires courage. It requires taking a risk. But like Esther, let your faith be greater than your doubt. An ordinary Esther was willing to lay down her life to put it on the line for God's extraordinary purposes to save and deliver an entire people. Maybe you need to put something on the line to save and deliver a family or one person. And it could change eternity for that person. We have to join in. We can't sit idly by. We have to trust and risk and, and endure and persevere. But God's always at work saving and redeeming transforming lives and and so I encourage you to apply this to step forward and I here's what I really encourage you whatever you feel the Lord speaking to you to do that you need to do tell someone that loves you and will ask you about it that puts it into the action plan if I tell you know my dog or a tree they're not going to ask me but if I tell Jeremy Cotton Hey, I'm supposed to start pleading for this person and actually go to him. He's going to ask me tomorrow, did you, did you text? Did you call? Did you go over? And my flesh might say, shut up. But the spirit of the living God in me will say, that a boy, Scott, you got your Mordecai. That a boy, Jeremy, you're being Mordecai. If we don't do this, we'll just be the same. So we've got to do something to be transformed day by day by day, one degree at a time into the very image of who? Jesus. That's what you're made for, to look like Jesus for such a time as this. If you die, you die. Then you're with Jesus, right? But you're probably not going to die. Jesus, help us to purpose in our hearts, to live this out. To just go, I'm ordinary, but you've got extraordinary purposes to fulfill through me. So help me. Give me courage. Give me a heart for pleading, for, for salvation for some, for, for deliverance for others. Help me to ask Mordecai's into my life. Help me to live out being a Mordecai to those people in my life.
Help me to put action to your promises that are yes and amen that you want to use us to reach a lost and broken world. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more sermons and full service replays, visit us online at hcfburnit.org. God bless and have a great week.